0: Hey everyone, Raghu back here with Mind Rolling, and uh, another new friend, Ralph De La Rosa. Ralph, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I, I always
0: yeah, welcome, welcome. Thank you. I always say, I have a new friend uh, because it always turns out that's the beauty of podcasts that mm. you sit down with somebody that you don't really know. Mm -hmm. And you might have read some of their stuff or whatever, or seen them on YouTube. And then the next thing you know, wow, it's the beauty of that kind of connective communication. It's really quite wonderful. So that's why I say new friend, because I know that's what's going (laughs) to happen. Ralph uh, is a therapist, a meditation teacher, storyteller and musician, I didn't know the musician part, you'll have to tell us about that. Sure. And I came across uh, Ralph because of his new book, Monkey is the Messenger. Uh, Now, I am very, very fond of a monkey. Uh, (laughs) It's in a different context than the book, though, and it's a monkey called Hanwan from Mm. India. And that that is actually our whole lineage Ram Das and me and Krishna Dass is a monkey so it's kind of, and and even when they talk about stories of Hanuman right. they they always talk about yeah no he did things like you know a monkey does like just bounding from tree to tree and eating fruit and being happy and free uh, but in this case uh, monkey mind is a, a bit of a different thing uh, in in terms of uh, the uh the myth that we are creating for ourselves on a day-to-day basis um so ralph can you we just talked before we got on about yeah i really want to know how did you get into this stuff
1: (laughs) you know um and thank you and i appreciate your vote of confidence with regards to uh, being friends by the end of this (laughs) And I'll just say before that part of my story is that at one time I was actually a Hare Krishna ashram devotee when I was about 19 or 20 years old. And so it's interesting that you bring up Hanuman and I had never really thought about the parallel between the Buddha's metaphor of the monkey mind and and Hanuman being a servant of Lord Vishnu in the Hindu uh, Vedic mythos. And... um, Yeah, there's definitely a strong parallel there around the monkey mind maybe becoming more in service of the whole self, just as Hanuman is a servant of Krishna.
0: Well, it's interesting because one of the things that uh, we came back with from India, from our time with... Uh, I'm assuming you know... Uh, see, we really haven't talked now, everybody out there. We, <laughs> I'm assuming you do know about, of course, Ram Dass's guru, Neem Karoli Baba, mm-hmm, um, that we were with and we followed Ram Dass back to India that all that time ago. Um, so... Uh, what was brought back is called the Hanuman Chalisa, forty verses in praise of the monkey god. Yeah. So yeah. one of the c- central things of the whole thing is these all are references. The 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 couplets are all references to reminding him him who he really is, and ultimately who you really are mm-hmm. uh, by in, in the doing of it. Uh, so, and there's always references. Yes. He behaved like a monkey and he did this, that, and the other, and he was powerful physically, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. yeah if we are reminding who he is, is, uh, and who we are.
1: Right. Right. What a huge theme for all of us really, who, you know, we forget our true nature in the, in the fray and fuss of life all the time. And I mean, with regards to my history and how I ended up here on this path and how I ended up here holding the seat, uh, the very humbling seat of a teacher on some occasions, um, really is the story of uh, trauma in that um, I had just from a very early age, things started going really wrong as it does for so many of us, too many of us, really. Um, In terms of just abandonment, uh, uh, my dad walking out of my family and uh, Mm. developing um, depression uh, and suicidal ideation uh, very early at the age of eight. um, And really wanting to find a way out of that, which was kind of two-tiered for me. And the first thirst for me was really... Uh, wanting to know the truth about life and having a sense even from a very young age of of you know that this this can't be it this can't be what we're here for this can't be why I was born into this world um, and being confused about that and confused about why nobody seemed to have the answers which led to the second tier the second thirst if you will that I that depression gave me which was um, to escape to find a way out you know if, Everybody's confused around me, and I'm confused. And you know, at least let's try to feel better. And um, so that's those two kind of poles really uh, uh, drove my journey, and um, in two distinct ways. But that actually had a lot of overlap. And um, you know, some things happened in high school where uh, you know I was assaulted a number of times and developed um, PTSD and mm. wor- worsened the depression and and so on. And, you know, when I got out into the world, I uh, was a young adult, very, very confused and very much kind of trying to outrun myself. And um, and I found a, a, a spirituality that spoke to me, but I also found drugs simultaneously. And those also spoke to me in a different way. And then there came a, some experiences where I kind of tried to use spirituality very much like a drug and uh, as an escapist manner in a, what we now call spiritual bypass. Mm. Right? But, um, yeah. And I, I, uh, I found the, the Vaishnavas, the Hare Krishnas, and I spent some time living in an ashram in Pacific beach, California. Really? Yeah. yeah, that was a beautiful time. And actually I should, I should even mention that before that in, uh, came a whole phase with psychedelic usage, and the fateful night that I was at a party at uh, a potluck of a friend of mine's, and he said, hey, have you ever read this book? It's the Tripper's Bible. Hmm. And he held up Be Here Now oh. by Ram Das. Uh, and, yeah, that's where it all kind of began for me in terms of...
0: Tripper's Bible. I don't think I yeah. heard that one. I love that. <laughs> I'm to write that down.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, with, with that sort of endorsement, it was... Uh, it was a given that I would pick it up and read it. <laughs> and,
0: yeah,
1: really. But that, I mean, that book was really a, a huge Genesis for me in that it was the first exposure uh, uh, I had to uh, uh, the notion of spirituality that didn't necessarily intertwine with the religion that could be 100% personal and uh, even open to um Open. Well, I, interpretation might not be the right word, but you know, we're we're open to finding our own path and really what what our personal dharma is. Um, and the cookbook for a sacred life in the back became uh, became my my uh, bread and butter for mm-hmm. some time in terms of learning meditation and learning asana and uh, learning how to chant, etc. And um yeah, and then came a period where I, I fell in with, with the Hare Krishnas, which uh, <laughs> ended, ended in a very interesting and kind of hilarious way. And, um, what? Uh, uh, well, I, I actually, here, here's a story for you. I actually didn't do so well with ashram life. No. i right? yeah. <laughs> trying to be a celibate, uh, aspiring sannyasi. No. <laughs> to, yeah. at the age of 19 20 <laughs> did not uh fare so well and so um it was kind of known in the temple that i was quote unquote cracking up a little bit i was you know acting out and having a lot of heart uh a lot of difficulty with the schedule and you know my various duties etc and um i'll try to give you the quickest possible version of the story but it's kind of it's kind of amazing actually that one day, my roommate in the ashram told me, "You know, Ralph, you got to be careful what you wish for when you're chanting the Lord's name, because Krishna is—he's the grantor of the of the desires of all the devotees, and he'll give you what you're what you're thinking about. He'll give you what you're asking for. So be careful, because you could be you know, thinking about the wrong thing." <laughs> and so I was so not down with the uh, asceticism of of temple life that one day i started we were in the shrine room and doing our two and a half hours of japa rounds chanting Hari krishna and i thought well let me let krishna know what i actually want i want to get out of here <laughs> <laughs> and and i started dreaming of this life where i lived in a van and you know i could be independent and i wouldn't have to work that much and i could stay connected to the temple and stay connected to seva to, to doing service and you know i could still have lots of time to you know do sadhana and spiritual practice and and you know krishna send me a van send me a van you know this is this is the answer <laughs> two two days later uh, uh some new devotees were just suddenly in the ashram. A whole, uh, about eight of them and um, and I was told that they were traveling sankirtan kirtan devotees their whole job was to go and, and uh, uh, Sell literature and sell, you know, these books and to chant Hare Krishna in the streets, etc. Yeah. I thought oh, who are these guys and They lived in vans they lived in Four of them to a van the van was their was their ashram so to speak and they traveled uh, uh, they traveled following alternative concerts across the country to you know, do, do this, this work. Um, and so I, uh, within another 24 hours, well, it turned out serendipitously that uh, one of their crew members had gotten sick and needed to see a doctor, which was why they stopped in San Diego. And then it turned out that this person couldn't travel anymore and they had an opening in their van and this was within 72 hours of the day that i meditated on krishna send me a van and uh there was a van for me to go and live with live in yeah. and uh seven other even more disciplined and ascetic <laughs> devotees for me to be in extremely close quarters with
0: well you did get what you wanted but maybe <laughs> maybe not right?
1: And so the story goes that we were actually following uh, Weezer and No Doubt on oh, tour, yeah. oh. <laughs> and uh, to to sell books to kids who were maybe searching.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, I, we I got as far as Nashville, Tennessee, with them when I just uh, kind of snuck out and, <laughs> and called my dad who lived in Oklahoma, who came and picked me up. He said, "This is for me." <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: uh. Yeah.
1: yeah, so from there, you know i I followed Ama for a number of years, and but really, my depression um, worsened actually with the bhakti yoga thing because uh, bhakti, you know, is the the highest of the eight limbs of the Ashtanga yoga path, and I didn't really have any of the of the lower limbs in place for myself. And Buddhism is really what what ended up bringing that to me mm. in a, in a very real way, um, and and really discovering the stripped down kind of vipassana method of just body, breath, and mind, and you're stuck there with yourself. Just work it out, build a relationship with yourself. that actually ended up being the most transformative thing for me.
0: Uh, we, I would, uh, I don't know how many times I've had said this on podcasts or in retreats, whatever, the exact same thing with almost the same words, Ralph. Mm. And Mm. then I I, I would take it one further that that, uh, the steeping in, for us it was Vipassana, but certainly also uh, we hung out with a lot of the Tibetans, Mm -hmm. that crossed into the bhakti yoga the, the devotional yoga that we that was endemic to what we were doing with neem karoli baba he never said a word about anything cuz he didn't he didn't teach he didn't pontificate or anything he'd say are you going to the course in english he'd go he didn't speak english but in english he'd go course and yeah we're going to go to the well we'll go to the course what the hell is the course <laughs> if he posh the course of bodh gaya you know, and anyhow, we got all of that and got that grounding. So, the combination of those two things has been really, I would say, our signature, if you were to say, of what this, this lineage is. And that's why we do these retreats with Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Joseph Goldstein and on. And uh, the, yeah, that combination is extraordinarily important and that kind of grounding. Mm-hmm. For when you, you know, when you go into the deep parts of the heart that contain everything,
1: yeah, everything, you know, and yeah, yeah, all the all the dark as well as all the light, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So it's a, so in the in the book, uh, I I love the way you put this. I love the way you put a lot of things, Ralph. Hmm. Thank uh, you. Deep down, I was on a sophisticated mission to escape myself. Yeah. I love that. And this is, I guess, <laughs> after many people are on sophisticated missions to escape themselves, even using the spiritual, as you said, spiritual bypassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is after you're with Amma, right?
1: Yeah. Tell us yeah. about that. Yeah, well, you know, our nervous systems are very wise. <laughs> and and want to keep us really from the the darkness that that is sometimes you know in in the heart well is universally in the heart really our wounds our pain shame and fear and you know we sense that unconsciously that if we really did this path you know we might open to that and so we it's this funny thing where the spiritual path and meditation is very vulnerable and um we we might endeavor to open the heart, but then something in us can take us in a whole different direction to kind of, as if to protect us. And I think that's what happened with, with me and Amma was I fell head over heels in love with this woman and uh, was not awake to the way in which I was still compensating for the way that my dad left my family mm-hmm. and how abandoned and lonely I felt at my core. And so I look to her to fix that. And, you know, and Amma knows that we, you know, if anybody's ever been to see Amma, then you know that all she does is hug people, right? And,
0: you know, everybody, uh, Amma uh, is the known as the hugging saints, is the wonderful saints from South India that comes to America every year. And that she does. There's lines that go on all night. You get in line and to get, have Darshan hug. Basically, yeah. so yeah
1: yeah, so she's she's aware that we are all missing that in some way that we all kind of have holes in our heart in some way. And so I mean I think that that's a huge impetus for her and when the work that she does is to at least give us one moment of feeling radically accepted and you know, uh, uh, saturated in, in love and in unconditional love. And that is a beautiful and healing thing. And I think for me, it also became um, a little bit of an addiction <laughs> in, in that, you know, I just thought if I could, you know, get myself into an otherworldly transcendental state with bhakti yoga and just stay there, then I wouldn't have to deal with my actual life. And that caught up with me in a big way.
0: <laughs> yeah, you and everybody else out there. jeez right. <laughs>
1: yeah but oh. but I got to have some beautiful times with her in, the, mm. in in the meantime and and learned a lot and got to travel across the country with her and yeah
0: well so, oh, that's wonderful
1: yeah I'm, I'm sure i'm I mean the stories about Neem Karolai Baba are just amazing in terms of what went on around him and that kind of unexplainable phenomenon that yeah. uh, went down mm. so. Yeah, some very similar things with ama at times. So,
0: I should talk about the thought process, because he yeah, did a nice job here enumerating what we really go through on a moment-to-moment basis and in the, in the thinking process and the narrative, uh, uh, as you put it, our relentless wounded narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Talk about that in terms of how you've gone through recognizing these narratives, recognizing the belief in our thoughts, and being able to find some leverage that allowed for a a bit of a different perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, there's always a subtext to what we're thinking about, there's always a subtext that it's never, things are never what they appear to be uh, at surface level. And the Buddha said things are not what they appear to be and nor are they otherwise. So, um, (laughs) you know, what we're thinking about is what we're actually thinking about, but underneath there are themes that if we start to be thoughtful and maybe think a little symbolically or metaphorically, you know, um, about, the narratives that we're holding about our lives we'll see that there's assumptions about how people behave about whether or not we live in a friendly universe about what this life is for about what you know what we're worth um yeah there's 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 all kinds of subtext to what's going on in our minds that is indicative actually of you know what we call beliefs and not like belief as in I believe in god or don't believe in god but more like uh, assumptions that we have about things and really those are formed by mostly by our hurts by the adverse experiences that we've gone through and so for me i don't know it was really just a cacophony of 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 hatred for um for quite some time. And this is in tandem with, you know, being a devotee of amas, et cetera. I'd leave the ashram, I'd leave the darshan, I'd leave the, the, the hugs and find myself right back in the pit of despair and depression and, and resentment against, you know, um, uh, various people that had wounded me in the past and um, just a lot of, a lot of animosity. Uh, was really present, uh, both going out towards the world and going inwards towards myself.
0: And um, But you had the awareness.
1: Eventually, yeah. I think that's really what, what uh, mindfulness-based, breath-based meditation began to show me, was like, oh, this isn't, you know, there's a way in which we can become in our thoughts and feelings as opposed to with them. Right. There's a way in which we can be so consumed that we don't even really conceive of another way, conceive of, you know, even other people uh, mattering as much as we matter to ourselves. Um, and so I was quite lost in that. And I think the first time that it, there started to be space between me and my experience was doing mindfulness-based Vipassana style meditation. Um
0: it is a long way from Ama to Vipassana though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. But the same the same core of, you know, knowing that the, that this can't be all there is. That we're not just here to suffer. We're not just here to go through these things. We're not just here, you know, life doesn't suck. That's not <laughs> the evolution. <laughs> right <laughs> that's, that's that's one narrative but there are other narratives that you can tune into right so um yeah so i mean I, that's a lot of the work that i do with people now as a therapist actually is you know how do we how do we put a little bit of space between us and our uh our assumptions about what's going on or our fixation about what we need in order to be happy or what we need in order to feel safe, what we need in order to feel whole or how terrifying, you know, uh, facing the wounds of the heart can be. Can we just put a little bit of space between ourselves and that sort of experience? And then we're not so lost in it. We start to have more options.
0: Hmm. The narrative, though. I mean, it's good to get a grip on not believing that narrative. And and I find that when anything comes up, as anything arises, uh, it, you know, of course, mindfulness is a great thing if practice properly. Uh, there's a lot of kind of BS mindfulness that's going around, but... Um, but more in the, shall I say, Joseph Goldstein, by the way. I've said this a billion times, everyone out there. You want to get into understanding mindfulness and being able to actually execute that in your life? Get Joseph Goldstein's book, Mindfulness, period. That's yeah. all I got to say about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, the real thing.
0: Yeah, um, but uh, once that that true awareness coming from a place of, as Ramdas called it, the witness, and it's a witness that's non-judgmental, that is compa- compassion. Mm-hmm. It's compassion and mm-hmm. compassion for yourself and for everybody else. But mostly, let's start with your the for self, because that's where we really get into a narrative that is so self-destructive. As you just just rattled off what, what happened to you. Same thing happened to me, Ralph. When mm. I was, uh, when yeah, when I was a teenager, I what is this for? This is not possible. Yeah, this is not possible. Living this, these people are automatons, and you know, my from my parents to the family and the friends and the local and you know the whole thing. It wasn't until Bob Dylan actually saved my ass back then when I realized, okay. Yeah. We're uh, there is something out there there is somebody out there that uh, yeah this isn't it this is not it. Yeah. And then it led uh, in a similar psychedelics of course. Mm-hmm. I say that of course because that's what everyone expects in the late 60s early 70s but um <laughs> which is true. Uh and we talk about when you talk about drugs I immediately dismissed we're not talking about psychedelics. We're talking about addictive drugs, because then you said later, uh, then psychedelics opened up a world, right?
1: Yeah, well, psychedelics were actually, they opened up a world to spirituality in early adulthood. And then again, I, I got into the bhakti yoga thing, but with no feet on the earth, so to speak. And so there was a real vacillation between spirituality and then coming you know finding myself in the throes of depression and unrecognized trauma and all that came with that and so really I uh began using alcohol cocaine and eventually heroin to start dealing with that and there was a a longish period of really trying to do a double life showing up at the ashram coming down off of speed and things like that that I really thought I was being clever (laughs) and Um, and really was just in such a numb reactive, uh, vacillating between a numb and reactive state and, and Mm. yeah, life gets confusing. It really really does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, more and more and more reason to do some kind of practice that does, uh, at the very, very least, stop you chasing your thoughts, the chasing monkey mind, which is what this this whole book is about. Um, and I love, there's one thing you quote in here uh, from Trungpa Rinpoche, another like favorite teacher of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he refers to the, the shit in your head as consci- uh, subconscious gossip. Yeah. I actually never heard him say that. But I love that subconscious. Everybody out there, just watch a little bit on a moment-to-moment basis. Like, take out just, just this. You're gonna do this instead of, you know, go out and smoke a cigarette or chew gum or something. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm just gonna like really be aware of the all, all the different crazy ass thoughts that come up in my mind and how my mind then it's like okay now we're talking to each other. the mind talks back and forth to another entity within the mind and it mm-hmm. becomes this gossipy chatter uh kind of stuff and it's like and at one point you go wow that's incredible yeah. i that's happening what is that where does that you know
1: and, like, and how could there be one part of myself talking to another part of myself? And how could those two parts of me have two different opinions? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, or, or be at war with each other. Even. Yeah.
0: Or six different opinions.
1: Exactly. Think, yeah. Exactly. Oh. Uh, and, you know, I mean, this is really what the book is about, is that that's actually, that serves a function in our lives. That That along with the various calamities that are inherent in this human existence um, actually aren't, they can be very tragic, but it's not a tragedy that they exist in the first place, that there, there's something else going on here. And just like people, you know, getting so fed up with that inner dialogue that is sometimes very tense and exhausting and leads to insomnia and all kinds of anxieties, you know, and so they turn to meditation, right? Um, just in that same way, you know, all of the various cycles that we go through, what you know, you and I in our uh, respective traditions know as samsara, right? Like the cyclical, repetitive nature of things, you know, is really trying to drive us to ask those deeper questions that you, that Bob Dylan, <laughs> helped you to ask when you were when you were younger.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um- I want to read a little something. Uh, the inner life of each person is incredibly unique and complex. Each of us seems to be working with a common, basic setup. Memory banks, inner dialogue, the propensity to construe meaning out of experience, spatial awareness, emotional intelligence, and motor functions are all examples of this. Our fundamental motivations are, seem to be universal. So and understanding them will help us to get clear on why we are the way we are, so that we can, so we can do something about it, which is just what we just we've been talking about. And uh, you know, a lot of people are just getting an idea that there is a way to get beyond uh, being so self cherishing. That's a beautiful term from the Buddhist uh, jargon, right? Mm-hmm. Just think of it, you know, this self- cherishing that there is a way to do that, and uh, uh, these are the kinds of actions that everybody can take to actually break through that. Obviously, this happened for you. you're a good example. I mean we all are good examples, but yours is a little extreme. <laughs> <laughs> is it more extreme? Yeah, you're a little more extreme. You were living with my ma- ma- ama, and then coming back, stoned on speed. Okay, that's extreme. Yeah, I'll have to say that. That's
1: pretty extreme. Yeah, yeah. So you,
0: it. So yeah, what was that thing that just broke that? for you?
1: Uh, hitting rock bottom. Of course. Hmm. That's a. That's the thing. Is that's the function? Is things got so repetitive and got spiraled. And, you know, there's that there's that notion of samsara, again, as we spiral, we go in a downward spiral until we hit a bottom. And I had to go away to uh, residential substance abuse treatment for six months.
0: But you had the thing to do that. Many, you know, I mean, it was strong,
1: right? Right. Yeah. Which yeah, is well, grace,
0: too. I mean, that to me is a whole other level.
1: Indeed. Indeed. I mean... I, I, I shouldn't have, but I had uh, some people in my life that uh, very I was very fortunate that didn't give up on me. Hmm. And uh, it was in rehab that I really found the space to meditate, that I had an amazing therapist who uh, really looked after me in a lot of ways that were above and beyond, and um, was introduced to Hatha Yoga in a... In a. Um, hmm yeah, in a significant way. And really, that was the trifecta that uh, opened things up and led me to kind of the shores of sanity, if you will. Um, but i'll just I'll just say this though, when it comes to that self- cherishing, right. Dr. Rick Hansen, a teacher in the insight tradition, a a neuropsychologist, author of The Buddha's Brain and Hardwiring Happiness, he, he elucidates kind of the neurological basis of basically Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like what we're all driven by, what we're all motivated by, and that it really, from a brain perspective, comes down to safety, gratification, and belonging. At all times, we are seeking these three things in one form or another. And, you know, it it can, that's where we start from. Now, the surface level expression of how we go about it can get quite distorted and twisted up and neurotic and even pathological. But if we look to everything we think, say, and do, we can find that we're trying in some way to go towards safety, gratification, and belonging and i really think that that's what our our uh, self-cherishing or what's sometimes called the ego which gets a really bad rap in in the eastern traditions is really about is trying to keep ourselves safe in some way it's really you know it's a defense mechanism and that's really what defense mechanism means is it's it's a part of you that's trying to keep you safe in some way and um I don't know, ever since I really started understanding that I have a hard time dogging that tendency in myself and others because I just see that, ah, there's, you know, if you're trying, if you're neurotically trying to keep yourself safe, emotionally safe, physically safe, uh, or neurotically trying to go towards a sense of belonging, such as with endlessly seeking validation, that's actually tells me that there's a wound in there. Or maybe you don't feel good enough. Or maybe uh, things weren't so safe for you growing up and you never internalized a lasting sense of security within yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah.
0: yeah. And everybody, everyone has some of that. We all have some of that. And that's as a result of, well, then we have to talk about karma. We have mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, the conditioning in our early lives. Yeah. I mean, His Holiness says, if your mother took care of you in a compassionate way like my mother did, that's why I'm like I am, he said. Mm-hmm. That's what needs to happen. I think mm-hmm. he even said, Western women eventually will be the savior. I don't know why he said Western, and maybe I have it wrong, but I don't think so. Mm-hmm. will be, not the savior of our future, but but will be very important yeah going forward yeah to develop yeah. compassion and yeah so on. um yeah and the the it's the aversion right the aversion stuff in terms of the self cherishing i mean that is so endemic i mm-hmm. have a new uh, there's a new sage out there that i, I don't think you've heard of who said mm-hmm. the most wise thing <laughs> that i saw the other day on dr king's day martin luther king day his name is LeBron James. Okay. Ah. Okay. LeBron James said, "One of the greatest things I loved about Dr. King was his comfort with discomfort." Mm-hmm. How great is that? I'd be like, "LeBron, good." <laughs> and that's <laughs> something, you know. Yeah, I mean, obviously Dr. King was comfortable in any, you know, doing whatever he had to do and there was a lot of very uh, a lot of situations that had a giant quotient of fear not only for his own self but for the people that were around with around him and they were his family so he he had tremendous courage Gandhi's courage I mean he, he was incredible yeah. uh, but that that is I love the statement because discomfort with uh, comfort with discomfort, is yeah. a tough thing for us to consider. I mean, just think of it in your own life. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. don't want that. And that's what you were just talking about. You know, when well, uh,
1: I mean, you're pointing towards that which lies between us and any experience, right? Which is our relationship to what's going on. That we could be in discomfort and hating that. Discomfort, and that's one way of of relating to it. We could look towards that comfort, maybe with curiosity or some equanimity, or knowing that it'll pass. Something a little more friendly or warm, and then that places us in a much better situation. It doesn't necessarily change the discomfort, but we're freed from you know the reactivity and the aversion. Yeah,
0: attachment. Yeah, as Maharaj used to say, he would just go like this. Attachment, he say. He'd just, that was it. That was the whole thing. You know, we were like, okay. I, I, I. <laughs> yeah. Um. There's something else here. Oh God, did I just lose it? Um. Hang on a second. This is too good. There's a kind of energy. You talk about a kind an energy that. We all, you say, you need to. We all need to bring into a situation, because it's so easy to say, "I'm overwhelmed, man. I can't. I can't. I can't do it." You know. So you talk about an energy we often need to bring to our practice and our life, in the name of no matter whatness. I like that. No matter whatness, cut through the excuses just stop mentally fidgeting around stop negotiating mm-hmm. this is good advice i would like where are you are you in brooklyn did you say
1: i sure am yeah. okay All
0: right. well i'm gonna come and uh, i'll be a patient because uh, this is good <laughs> stuff man ralph <laughs> but i love that we could drop a, a sharp heavy blade right through the resistance that's and that, that's tied up into courage to actually take, put one foot in front of the other, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, indeed. I mean, we get the question all the time, well, what do we do about, you know, how do I establish a daily practice? I just can't seem to get myself to do it. And it's like, well, we could talk about some different motivation techniques, but really it just comes down to like, you put your butt on the cushion and you set the timer and you don't move until the bell rings.
0: You but know? but then Ralph, I have all these thoughts. I don't know what to do with them. I can't control my thoughts, and they just overwhelm me. And I guess I'm not really cut out for meditation because I have too many thoughts.
1: Right.
0: How right. how many times have you heard that one?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 me it to meditation and away from meditation at the same time. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it's hilarious actually. Yeah. But, you know thankfully that's not an unworkable situation <laughs> <laughs> or
0: I, I mean i say to people are you really serious you really seriously believe you're the only person who's ever told me that in my entire life that you have too many thoughts therefore you're probably not good for meditation <laughs> right it's, right, uh,
1: right. Uh, maybe i should try pilates instead <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, now I do Pilates. So I love Pilates. Pilates. Yeah. No <laughs> hey, so there's a great story here. Maybe you want to tell it before we have to get off. Sure. Uh, Diamond Dog.
1: Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, this goes, this goes into. I love this.
0: It's a, into this is to talk about stories, we believe. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, well, I'll just say that, uh, Yeah, the mind spits out a lot of stories, and sometimes they're cute and funny and absurd, and sometimes, you know, they can take you in a really dangerous direction. And so this is a story uh, that's actually uh, has both of those elements in it, because this was actually just a little over a year ago that I was sitting silent retreat out at Blazing Mountain Retreat Center uh, with the Dharma Ocean community, which is who I study with these days. Reggie. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I was sitting with his closest student, Neil McKinley, Um, and I had never been out there and I was very, very curious if Reggie was going to make an appearance of some sort at the retreat or if he maybe lived on the land because they had all this land and it's out in Crestone, Colorado and literally in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, you know, he, I wonder if he lives out here on the land. I wonder if, you know, he'll be around, et cetera. I kind of had this story in my head and I uh, go for a walk third or fourth day of the retreat and I hadn't been around uh, uh, the land yet. And um, I, I, I see a guy coming up on me who's tall and thin and great hair and uh, uh which, which Reggie is tall and thin and has gray hair. And I, I thought, you know, for a moment, like, oh, is oh, is that him? Am I about to pass him on the road? And then, you know, he got a little closer and I realized, oh no, I that I've seen that guy sitting at the retreat. It's not him, but it planted this. It refreshed the story I had in my head of like, you know, uh, uh, is the guru going to be here? Basically, right? And um, I pass a uh, some bushes that reveal a house um behind the bushes and and i thought oh that's interesting you know like there's a house on the land i wonder if that's where he lives and i see a a finished attic in the window and i recall this podcast where reddy had talked about this meditation room being in a finished attic of this house and i started thinking this is too close this is too much this has got to be where he lives and um just then i see that there's a red truck with its engine running in the in the driveway and uh the engine stops they had just gotten home and you know my heart sinks a little bit like oh my god it's reggie and his wife caroline about to get out of this truck and like what do i do because i'd really like to meet this man i'd really like to shake his hand i'd like to thank him for you know, the the teachings, um, you know, but I also don't want to put them on the spot. And what am I going to do with, you know, like, you probably hate to get that kind of attention. I, I know that it's sometimes awkward and uncomfortable for teachers to get, you know, veneration from people when they're just trying to share what's what's helped them. And, um, you know, and then another part of me just wanted to get down and do prostrations in the dirt, <laughs> right there in the, in the middle of a dirt road. And, And uh, the door opens to the truck and I just hear this dog barking. This dog uh, hops out of the truck and um, (laughs) and I think to myself, ah, this is how I'm going to meet him. This is, this is how I, I meet him because dogs love me. I love dogs. This dog's going to come over. We're going to play with each other. You know, eventually Reggie's going to come to fetch his dog. And then it'll be this nice, awkward or not awkward uh, opportunity for us to have a, a friendly exchange. And the dog comes running at me. And I was so in this story that the dog was viciously barking at me and at <laughs> it. his front paws in the ground in attack mode and i bent down to pet him oh great and a dog lunged at me and uh and began to attack me oh and everything just went kind of silent and uh it was a really meditative moment actually And that just, there was no time for thought. There was no time for concepts. There was no time the story I had in my mind vanished. Everything just sort of went still in a way, except for the fact that this dog was lunging at me and I was jumping backwards trying to get away from him. And then eventually uh, the owner came running up and grabbed the dog and the, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I look up at the guy and it's definitely not Reggie Ray.
0: <laughs> now,
1: why would Reggie
0: have a oh. sick dog? Come on. Attack this dog. This guy,
1: <laughs> right, right. He would have a peaceful dog, of course.
0: Yeah, right. another story. <laughs> An enlightened dog. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> right, another story yeah. But this guy, of course, expected me to be freaked out or angry or upset or scared. And I was so taken by the disillusionment of this imaginary narrative that I was caught in that I would doubled over in laughter. And he's sitting there apologizing to me and I'm just laughing uncontrollably. And he just, I mean, he gave me the thousand yard stare like I had, you know, seven heads. (laughs) Like, what's going on with you, pal?
0: Mm,
1: That's funny. That's so great.
0: (laughs) Oh, my, my.
1: Um, um, yeah, the, the, the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah, really. Name of that.
0: And one of your gotcha. uh, chapters in the book, the monkey is a mensch. I didn't hear, I don't remember that. That's so great. The monkey's a mensch. Uh, but, uh, you're talking about the greatest story ever told. And I think, I don't know if I mentioned it, but it's exactly some of the things that we've been talking about on different podcasts uh, with different teachers who many of whom you, you know, well, um, mm-hmm. And our thoughts tell a compelling story, the story of me. Uh, my friend Krishnadas has a, a great uh, aphorism for that. It's called The Movie of Me. You wake uh. up in the morning, you're the star, producer, director, <laughs> and the whole day is planned out wonderfully, <laughs> <and> played <laughs> out uh, in complete ignorance, <laughs> you know. And so I, I came upon this and I was like, okay, we're on the same page here uh, in terms of what I think is so important for people to yeah. to get, as we've been speaking of this entire podcast, to get awareness, just get there, you know, and to ah. see like this story, Ralph, that you just told is, is beautiful. <laughs> I mean, that how that was constructed was fantastic and the motivations for it and on and on you know
1: yeah yeah and really if we look at what all of our stories is about it's again it's it's how can i be happy and and how can i not suffer basically yeah safety gratification and belonging that's really everything and you know like the dalai lama said if we're well nourished inside and that can come from a mother, that can come from a father, that can come from another caregiver, or we can learn to offer it to ourselves, which is really the answer and really what meditation, I believe, is, is for, is how do we nourish ourselves, not in a narcissistic, neurotic way, but in a, in, from that place of natural compassion and caring that exists within all of us. Mm-hmm. If we can nourish the various parts of ourselves from that place. Those, that that constant searching and striving begins to die down. We find that we are contented and become more and more peaceful. In our yeah,
0: lives. and practically speaking, you stop believing in your bullshit. Basically, <laughs> that's
1: that too. You know. There's that too. Yeah.
0: Um. One thing that you br- bring up here that uh, must relay. That's another thing I think is extraordinarily important, and that's around. Uh, Somebody, I can't remember who, Simone Weil, I think, the writer, said mm-hmm. the greatest th- offering that you can make to another human is attention. Yeah. And, and I was so happy to see that you had uh, brought that up. Uh, uh, it's di- What'd you say? It's difficult to surrender ourselves for you in a few moments. It's hard to give people... And by the way, I am the worst. <laughs> I, I am so... Um, I'm one of those people, I do a lot, I can do a lot of stuff, multitasking, mm-hmm. but when it comes down, I mean, thank God these podcasts provide that opportunity because you're one on one and you're here and, you know, and I really, I'm listening to you and yes. representing the audience in, in, in that way, you know. Uh, yeah. It's hard to give people, even people we love and hold dear, probably more difficult with those people the kind of attention and receptivity we ourselves so long for. Yeah, Yeah, talk about that for a sec, because uh, to me that's uh, endemic to any kind of compassion.
1: Right, right, indeed. I mean, it's basic mindfulness, right, is is what Dan Siegel called an actively receptive state. Uh, How often do we actually listen without planning what you're going to say next right how often do we really take in another person how often do we really set aside our own agendas um, to be there for somebody else or to you know offer our time or resources to another person and it's healing to receive that it's what we all long for and uh what it's so difficult to get even from the people that we're intimate with sometimes to just really be listened to and heard and uh, have somebody hold space for you. And um, it keeps me in business. <laughs> a um, you know, it's a, but it's one of the reasons why therapy is so powerful is it, as it is a space people can come to, um, to actually receive that. And if your therapist is any good, then they are uh, able to set aside uh, what they're going to say next, and just keep the space, so to speak, their mental space that they're projecting out into the room open and receptive and non-judgmental and and yes, as you said, this is all uh the precursor to compassion and emotional warmth emotional
0: intelligence as well this is my yeah. friend Danny wrote that great book years ago, Danny Goldman, yeah, that's another book, everybody. Definitely check out. I mean, that's um, that's like a grounding that everyone needs to have. Yeah. In in their day to day lives, emotional intelligence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We don't understand our emotions, which are really what drive everything about us, right? If we're not feeling it, we're not doing it. If we are feeling it, we are doing it, right? But so often we don't understand. Hmm. Yeah. what our emotions are actually where they're coming from, you know, just their, their nature. They're such a powerful force.
0: There's so many great things in this book, Ralph. Uh, and I've only mentioned a couple because of the nature of the old podcast. <laughs> uh, so, so I do encourage people to, uh, the monkey is the messenger Ralph De La Rosa, and there'll be links up on the uh, show notes page of, uh, BeHereNowNetwork.com dot com slash mindrolling, and also a way to get to you. You'll uh, what? No, tell us how can we get in touch with you? URL you oh, or uh, something?
1: Yeah, I'm all I'm all over the place, but um, yeah, RalphDeLaRosa.com. Okay, dot be perfect. The web, and then DeLaRosa on Instagram, on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, uh, and yeah, Facebook, and etc. Um, yeah, that would be the easiest way is just through the website. Good.
0: Uh, I uh, just have to another uh, Chogyam trumpa Uh mm-hmm. You have one quote in here towards the end of the book, uh, which has that chapter working with the inner critic and other harsh, other considerably harsh inner voices, mm-hmm. and people. You know, we all vouch for meditation as being a uh, leverage. to uh, really transform our belief and our thoughts and our stories and our movie of me, as we were just talking about. And uh, listen to Trumpo, though. This is beautiful. You put this in there, Ralph. Meditation is not a matter of trying to achieve ecstasy, spiritual bliss, or tranquility, nor is it attempting to be a better person. It is simply the creation of a space in which we are able to expose and undo our neurotic games, our self deception, our hidden fears and hopes. Yeah. That is so darn great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
1: great. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He said a lot of good things. <laughs> he, <laughs> he certainly
0: did. We used to go. Very s- mysterious man. Yeah. We used to go. Ramdas, um, I actually, we had a family uh, place, a uh, farm in the uh, Quebec. Quebec hinterland, right Mm -hmm. near the border of Vermont. And one of the first established uh, retreat places that Trumpa had was called Tale of the Tiger. It's now called Mm -hmm. something else, but I can't remember of it. Karma trolling. Dharma trolling.
1: Yeah, Karma trolling. Karma
0: trolling, yeah. And uh, anyhow, we used to go down there and he, you know, he'd hang out. He was highly unusual. Okay. Mm -hmm. He was not like your normal guru at all. Okay, but he would give talks, and we'd go in, and, and uh, he'd make fun of us, primarily Ramdas calling, yeah, here's the love and light people are back. Here. <laughs> yeah, he well knew our whole lineage with Nimgaroli Baba, and you know he respected and all that. Uh, but uh, yeah, another being in which I would say cannot more highly recommend. Mm. Uh, his meditation in action go there is uh, yeah. just extraordinary but this book is great uh and and it it really f- it, it it feels like it uh it connects to us and i especially think of next generation people uh mm. in a way that is so practical and real because of your experience so this is uh, yeah thanks for doing this man
1: yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you got so much from the book and and thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, when,
1: so when's our coffee date now that we're BFF? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll i be in New York. I will definitely uh, get in touch before I come. Absolutely. We'll love it. Everybody, yes. this is Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and you'll find lots of other folks that we are both very fond of, uh, most especially in the Buddhist world. There's not a lot of Hindu f- f- people that uh, that have a grasp in the way that we're talking about, the grasp of of the the basic understanding that one can... Really work on themselves to get (laughs) alongside of opening one's heart and allowing everything to come out and connecting in that way to true nature. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. We have these retreats, it's mostly Buddhist people, and it's, you know, Krishnadas, Ramdas, me, Mirabai Bush, and so, you know, some other people it's very strange we have to engender some hindus for god's (laughs) sake all right that's enough of that this is mind rolling ragu i'll see you next week